0: From the CQ Roll Call Newsroom in Washington, this is the Week Ahead Podcast, your nonpartisan news source for how Congress and the federal government shape the real world. I'm Sean Zeller of CQ Magazine, and I'm co-hosting today with David Lerman of Budget Tracker Extra in a special edition podcast on the new Republican tax bill. The bill, introduced on November 2nd, lowers rates for businesses in an effort to keep U.S. companies from moving overseas or hoarding income abroad and large companies are praising it. But the plan also offers a complicated array of changes for small businesses and individuals that have received a very mixed response. Dave and I will talk about it with Pete Cohn, CQ's budget editor. Hi, Dave and Pete. Hey, Sean. Good to be here. Thanks for co-hosting today, David. My pleasure. So, David, I wanted to talk about the corporate side of the code first. that's the main focus, I would say, of the Republican tax bill, and the idea is to get around this problem we've seen in recent years of corporations moving overseas to take advantage of lower tax rates abroad, right? That's
1: right. It's the biggest piece of this whole package. It's the most expensive piece of this whole package. It lowers the corporate rate from 35 percent way down to 20 percent. That's a pretty big drop. It's what Republicans are most excited about because for them, it's the, it's the biggest thing they think they can do to actually drive economic growth up. And they think that that much lower rate is going to attract more companies to invest domestically and to prevent sheltering their profits overseas. They'd be willing to bring the profits back home because the rate has come way down. That's their hope anyway. Um, and that's, that's what they're betting this on
0: and would you say it's a consensus or it's very widely believed that the united states needs to make changes in the corporate tax code to be more competitive that are because our corporate tax rate is the highest in the developed world i think so i think there are, i think there are people from both parties on both
1: sides who who are open to the idea of of saying it's now time to lower the corporate rate because it is high some people will say, well, the effective rate corporations pay is actually much less because of all the deductions they can take. But still, corporations look at that when, when deciding where to locate. They look at the rate. And there is a desire, I think. You don't hear Democrats say, I oppose lowering the corporate rate at all. So it's a question of how much and how to pay for it.
0: Yeah. So, but nonetheless, it's controversial. And Republicans are being criticized for you know, a giveaway to big companies. Why so? I mean, what's the problem and how they've drafted this? Pete, you you want to... Yeah, sure. And I would just make
2: one point, though, on the corporate rate, is that increasingly in in recent years, you have seen those on kind of the far left of the Democratic Party come out and say, we should not cut the corporate rate. And in fact, we ought to raise it. You've got Bernie Sanders uh, and Elizabeth Warren, among others, who have said, there's no need to to cut the corporate rate for the very reason that you raised, David, and that a lot of companies pay much less than that, uh, effectively at the end of the day. But so the
0: question is, I mean, the the deal was supposed to be we're going to lower the corporate rate but get rid of a lot of these loopholes that favor certain industry sectors over others. Yeah. Did they do that? Did they get rid of the loopholes in this bill? They did. They got they got they did get rid of a lot of lo- of uh, loopholes and, and deductions. In fact, they made a pr-
2: very two two really dramatic changes. Uh, one is on the deductibility of business interest expense. What they've done is they've taken the model that has been put in place by several European countries Part of a push over the last several years among, at the OECD, Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, they've tried to, to come up with a way for comp- multinational companies to stop shifting profits out of their countries and losing revenue that way. So what you've seen countries like Germany and France do in the United Kingdom is say you can only deduct interest expense up to a certain percentage of your earnings, which is 30% in this case. So 30% of your earnings before interest taxes and uh, depreciation. And amortization so what that's what they've done in this bill they said up to that amount you can deduct all the interest you want but above that cap you can no longer deduct that interest anything that's disallowed you can bring forward for five years but that's a huge money raiser in this bill and there's a policy reason for it too economists on both sides of the aisle believe that companies are it's the current system we have uh, encourages debt so this is a way to sort of eliminate that bias a little bit towards taking on debt rather than making equity investments. So there's a policy reason for it. It raises a lot of money, about $175 billion. Uh, that's one big way they've done it. They've also gotten rid of a deduction that has been used across uh, all different sorts of manufacturing industries, uh, from oil and gas to uh, restaurants. And that's a deduction basically for all of your domestic production that you do in the US. Uh, you you get a deduction of about 9%. It, it actually becomes an effective corporate rate cut. Oil and gas companies are limited to 6%, the big major oil and gas companies. But that's gone now under this bill. Right.
0: Nonetheless, though, the big multinationals like this bill. They're willing to take the lower rate Absolutely. for the loss and- Absolutely. The, the, the elimination of the loophole.
2: Yeah. They come out ahead overall under the bill, for the most part. Now, with, with certain exceptions, there are industries that are losers under this bill. The technology companies, pharmaceutical companies that do a lot of shifting of profits offshore because they have these intangible assets. It's much easier to just move capital all over the place if you can just set up a patent in a low-tax offshore jurisdiction.
0: Right. So let's talk about that. I mean, that's a big problem. Companies are storing a lot of their overseas profits overseas, and they're not bringing them back to the United States because they would incur the 35% corporate tax rate. So this bill aims to... Get around that by lowering our corporate tax rate, making it competitive with abroad. But it also aims to stop a race to the bottom, right? You know where everyone's lowering their corporate tax rate to try to um, attract corporations to headquarter there, and that's a 10% rate. Like, right? Any bi- any company would have to pay 10% tax to the United States of overseas income.
2: Yeah, well, that's so. That's geared towards. So you know, your your point is, is absolutely right. They want to avoid a race to the bottom, but the U.S. knows we can't win a race to the bottom. It's cutting the corporate rate to twelve and a half percent, which is what Ireland has, and Ireland's become a huge haven for a lot of companies, that would be massively expensive, and nobody's got the appetite for that. So you got to put in these so-called guardrails to prevent against what people call base erosion, which is the, the decision, even even though we're able to lower the corporate rate to twenty percent, to continue to locate your your property to even move your headquarters overseas. Uh, so your t- the 10 percent minimum tax that you're talking about is basically designed to uh, to hit those very companies that have a lot of intangible assets that can very easily move property, intellectual property around the world. You know, if you're investing in in plants and, and equipment, those are tangible assets that you're not really going to be affected by this minimum tax. But if you're if you're putting you know, your intellectual property in a tax haven jurisdiction. Just to get that tax benefit, you're going to have to pay this minimum tax.
0: All right, let's turn to small business. A shocker yesterday was that the National Federation of Independent Businesses, a very conservative, Republican leaning trade group for small businesses, came out against the bill. Now, the bill was designed to help small businesses. You know, people thought that it was going to allow so called pass through companies where the owner counts all his revenue as personal income and pays at the personal income tax rate. It was going to help that person pay a lower tax on their true business income. But NFIB says it doesn't really work. Why so, David? Right. And this could be a real problem for Republicans, I think, moving
1: forward on this thing. I mean, Republicans routinely say that it's small business that generates all the jobs, or the majority of the jobs, and yet small business does not love this bill. They're not comfortable with it. I think partly because... A 25% rate, what they say is most small businesses, the mom-and-pop stores, they're not paying more than 25% yeah, now.
0: Yeah, NFIB said 85% pay 25% now and would see no benefit.
1: So there's nothing in there for them. Th- this is not a rate reduction for them. It's a rate reduction for a lot of other pass-through, you know, these the more expensive, the, re- the real estate firms and and partnerships and hedge funds, all, hedge funds right. who can... Who can possibly profit from a 25% rate, but not, not the majority of small businesses. So they're not thrilled with this whole thing at all. One, one caveat to that, though, there's specifically in the bill, if you're a personal services provider,
2: which does include investment professionals, you cannot qualify for this. And that's a way that they can get, get rid of that so-called hedge fund loophole that you're not just just allowing wealthy investment managers to recharacterize. Yeah, they're trying them.
0: to put in some safeguards, but, yeah. I mean, it, that doesn't help the small business side of it, though. Right. The Republicans here were trying to keep the cost reasonable, trying to prevent abuse, but the result is that the NFIB is against it. It doesn't provide enough for their members. Let's turn to individuals now. Now, the individuals, how, how would it affect individuals in a positive way, Pete? I think number 1 is
2: the rate reduction and the rate and the rate flattening. Uh, re- reducing the number of tax brackets from 7 to 4. It takes a lot of complexity of, or out of doing your taxes and the rate reductions are actually fairly generous. Uh, you know really you know there is a, a bit of a tax increase if you're making between if you're a household income between about 260,000 and 500,000. So, you know, maybe that applies to probably a lot of lobbyists and lawyers in the DC area who are going to see a little bit of a hit under this. But there are other offsetting benefits from this from this bill as well. If you have kids, you you make out pretty well. If you make uh, you know under two hundred thirty thousand dollars, you get the full sixteen hundred dollar child tax credit. Uh, you get an additional credit for just for being a parent. You get another three hundred dollars out of that. You, they eliminate the uh, alternative minimum tax, which is going to help a lot of the families in some of these high tax areas that are going to lose on the other end by elimination of your state and local. Uh, income tax deduction. Uh, you know, there's certainly those who, you know, here and there, there are certain individual provisions people are not going to like. They're going to see the uh, deduction for student loan interest removed. They're going to say, oh, that's going to hit me. They're going to see the the removal of uh, workplace FSAs, flexible spending accounts for childcare. That's gone too. But what the Republicans will argue is that on net, if you look at the entire impact of this bill with the rate reductions, the increased standard deduction, what itemized deductions are preserved and the increased child tax benefits, overall, your tax bill is going to come down. So if you're a student getting out of school and you've got a pile of debt, sure, you may lose that deduction, but guess what? You're going to have more after-tax income that you can pay that that loan off yeah, anyway. Well,
1: what was striking to me in seeing the bill uh, unveiled was, was how differently the two parties played it. I mean, to hear Republicans talk, this is a huge... Tax windfall for the middle class, and they get big relief because of the rate reductions and the doubling of the standard deduction, and the child tax credit goes up a little. And then to hear Democrats talk, this is a fraud. You know, they they they're doubling the standard deduction, but they're taking away your personal exemption, and they're taking away all these deductions for medical expenses and student loan interest. And so by the time you you, you come out, you don't come out ahead much at all. You might get a sliver, they say, but but not enough to make that much of a difference. So the
0: people who need to worry are the ones who currently itemize their taxes. They don't take the standard deduction, and they itemize a lot. So they're taking uh, a big mortgage interest deduction. They're taking a big deduction for their state and local income taxes. Well, your,
2: your existing mortgage interest deduction is fine. if you, Where you live today, if you're not moving, you're not taking out a new mortgage, you're fine. Even if you, if you refinance, but you, you refinance in a mortgage that's above $500,000... You may have a little bit of an issue. So yes, in, in you know certain high cost areas, uh, you know people trying to buy a, a starter home uh, in in an area like ours, uh, you know it may become a little bit more difficult. But, which
1: I think was one of the more surprising elements of this package that was finally unveiled was yeah. that they did curb the mortgage interest deduction, which they had vowed to protect because that's one of the most popular deductions that, that's in the whole code. But they did cap cap it at $500,000 for from, from new mortgages, as opposed to the million-dollar limit that we had before.
0: Right. So it would affect uh, more could, affluent home could, homebuyers.
1: It, yeah. it, it would, and it, and it could trap some middle-class middle uh, middle people in some, in some uh, costly areas where the average prices of homes are relatively high.
0: But uh, more, one of the more controversial provisions is the removal of the state and local income tax deduction, which uh, affects people in high-cost states uh, on the east and west coasts. That's right. And it could
1: it could affect the votes on the House floor. You've got Republicans from those high-tax states that are very uncomfortable with losing the deduction for state and local taxes. And a few of them, anyway, have, have said they would oppose the bill in its current form.
2: Yeah, they lost about a dozen House votes uh, on the budget resolution, mainly—well, uh, they lost 20 in all, but about a dozen of them were from members from these high-tax states. Now, that was before they unveiled the, comp- the so-called compromise, where they would maintain the property tax deduction, but it's capped. Now, you know, it's capped at $10,000. That doesn't ever change un- under this bill. So eventually, even if you're not hit by that by that tax increase now— you're, if your property taxes eventually creep up above that uh, that threshold then
0: you're going to be subject to not indexed for inflation not
2: indexed for inflation that's right so that's what about that's the a 500, problem
0: 500,000 on the mortgage interest is that indexed that's not inflation? indexed either so in 20 years that it'll be a lot less money than it is now
2: right now you know a lot of this was done to, to to fit within the budget rules so you know one of the things the republicans are sort of counting on is that down the road the lobbying uh, you know intensity becomes such that certain things that phase out or expire after a period of years, there'll be so much pressure to just continue them that you'll have a bipartisan agreement to do so. So maybe, you know, when enough taxpayers... It's like the, when they created the alternative minimum tax, which, by the way, is repealed under this bill, but they created that in 1969. They had no idea that eventually it would hit millions, many, many millions of middle-class uh, taxpayers. It was designed to, to keep the ultra-rich from health sheltering income. So, you know, some of these things are going to become you know, a potential alternative minimum tax if they don't do something about this down
0: the road. So the House is planning to mark this up in the Ways and and Means Committee next week, then bring it to the floor, I presume, pretty quickly. Do they have the votes? Do we know? We don't know yet, and they don't know yet. They're going to have to count the votes carefully, uh,
1: particularly when you've already got a few Republicans expressing concern, and Democrats seem pretty united against it. But they have a little more time to iron these things out and make sure they've got the votes.
0: uh, And it gets even more complicated because... The bill, as it's written, would increase the deficit, which would put it in violation of Senate rules for budget reconciliation. Meaning, Senate Republicans would need at least eight Democrats to support the bill to pass it as it is right now. Is that right? The Senate, by the way, will have a you know a
2: different version. Presumably, they'll they'll change some of these provisions. But they do have an issue because uh, even though they've met they've met the one and a half trillion directive, uh, you know they haven't gone above that. That's fine. But there's this thing called the Bird Rule, which uh, you know, CQ uh, readers, um, you know, and, and practically everybody, in, you know, who follows these issues by now knows about, um, in the Senate, where any individual provision or section of the bill that increases the long-term deficit, meaning beyond the 10 years, has has a potential problem on the floor. A senator could raise a point of order to strike that provision, and then you need 60 votes to defend it on the floor. So if Bernie Sanders or whoever decides, well, you know, we don't like this corporate rate cut, uh, he could raise a point of order and say that, um, you know, the uh, Republicans have to round up 60 votes, meaning eight Democrats. So then the question would be, are there eight Democrats willing to defend
0: the corporate rate cut? So a long way to go to see this to passage before Christmas as they intend. Thank you, Pete. And thank you, David, for coming on the show. Thanks, Sean. Good to be here. Thanks very much. I'm Sean Zeller. Thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on NPR One. And for more on this and other stories, visit RollCall.com or find us on Twitter at CQNow or at RollCall.